a favorite class of mine. And the reason why is because this was, I came about six and a half years ago, and this would be the first class as seventh graders that came into the student ministry. And so uh, it's very exciting, and it's exciting to see them uh, go all the way through middle school in those awkward years, and then into high school in those even more awkward years. And... Uh, to see them grow. And the great thing is, the amazing thing, and this is by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and their parents, uh, nothing to do with them, but they have remained faithful throughout. You know, they, uh, yes, yeah, yeah, that is so good. And so, uh, and then pastor says, okay, why don't you preach uh, this Sunday? Give a message to the students and to the congregation. And so I think I found one. No, I didn't find one. <laughs> I think I found something that I can apply not only to students uh, that are going off into college and into the workforce, but also that are uh, for us today. And something that we struggle with, something that, uh, okay, let me rephrase it, something I struggle with all the time. And what that is, is contentment. Contentment in the Lord. Right? Being content in Jesus and not in a thing or a person. Right? And so, as we come, well, let me pray first for our students and pray for our message. And then we will be looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Bow with me. Father God, we come to you. We thank you so much uh, for the resurrection. Father, I feel as this week, as we were just, as I was kind of just going through the motion, I was thinking, why do, why do we only think about, or why do we only emphasize the resurrection once a year? And uh, Father, let us emphasize that more, not just on Sundays, not just, uh, but more in our lives. You are alive, and that's amazing, amazing news. And so let us rejoice in that. Let us rest in that today. Uh, Father, I pray for these students that are graduating uh, from high school and they think they know everything, Father, please humble them and let them know they don't know everything. Father, that way they don't make a lot of the mistakes that I made, that others have made in this auditorium, Father, but they would be wise beyond their years. And that is a selfish prayer for me. I want to, to see them succeed. I want them to be uh, just amazing people. And Father, I pray as they head off to college, as they go Father, that the evil one is even more ambitious for them. And so, Father, I pray that you would protect them. I pray that you would bless them in everything they are, in everything they do. And so, Father, as we come today and we open up your scriptures, Father, I'd ask that the Holy Spirit would just come, be here and just to teach us and convict us and what you would want us to hear, what you would want us to walk out of here doing. And so, Father, give us ears to hear. Father, let not these words just fall on the ground and be like, oh, that was, that was nice or that was okay or I wish pastor was preaching. But Father, that we would leave here changed because of you and what you have done for us. Father, you're so good. You're so, so good to us. Bless our time as we open up the word and we, we apply it to our lives. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So like I said, our text is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. And let me, let's, let's stand in honor of God's word and we'll read that. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. 
And so it says this, verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me. You had no opportunity. Now I'm speaking of pain and need. I'm speaking of pain and need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You may be seated. And so uh, this letter written to Philippi, if you, if you know your uh, church history in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, Paul heads to Philippi, and he goes and he preaches. And what Paul's normal deal, or what he would normally do, was he would go in to the synagogue and start preaching. Well, in Philippi, there was no synagogue, and so he went out to the river. And does anybody remember who the first person he, he met? Anybody? This is where you get to participate. Allergies are killing me, so I'm going to take a drink. Who does Paul? Acts 16, I'll give you a hint. It's Lydia. All right, silver purple. That was, that was the answer. Uh, and so it's Lydia. He meets Lydia. He shares God, the gospel with her. He says, hey, Jesus, Jesus, he lived a perfect life. He died a death that you deserved. And he rose from the grave. And she's like, yeah, I want some of that. And she becomes the first member of the church. And then you remember the second member of the, the church of Philippi uh, is the slave girl who's demon-possessed. And she can tell she's a fortune teller. And people are using her, she gets converted and is the second member of the church. Sounds like a good church, doesn't it? <laughs> and then the third member of the church is the Philippian jailer. And we all know this story, right? right? Paul uh, is being tortured in prison. All right, there's no cable TV. That's a torture in itself. But no, he's being tortured. He's probably sitting in the mud. They're not giving him, not letting him do anything back in the first century there. You, if you did not eat unless someone came and brought you food. Well, what, what is Paul doing while he's in jail? Singing. He is singing at the top of his lungs. He is rejoicing in the Lord, right? Earthquake happens, the, the jailer is about to kill himself because he thought all the prisoners had gone. And Paul says, hey, don't harm yourself. And he, he says something that every pastor dreams of hearing every Sunday, every day. What must I do to be saved? <laughs> right? What must I do to be saved? And he comes to Christ. There's, there's your church. And so this letter, and it's important where we have to understand this. We have to know what's going on. And so 10 years later, Paul writes a letter to the Philippian church. And, and mind you, he's in prison at the time. He's in jail writing this letter. And it's interesting because Philippians really isn't about, you know, if you read most of Paul's letters, he always has a beef or a stick with the church. They're either in sin doing something, and so he's, he's reminding them, he's encouraging, he's rebuking them. But Philippians is not that way. Philippians is a, such an encouragement letter. And uh, there's one little tiff, but he kind of talks about that in chapter 4. And so the theme of Philippians is this. He goes, Paul is saying, I want to tell you, church, how you can have joy. 
right? How you can have joy in life. Joy is used 16 times in the book uh, of Philippians. And so it's really important when you see words that repeat in the Bible, you should pay attention to those words. And there's also this phrase that pops up that reoccurs. Rejoice in the Lord. Right? Rejoice in the Lord. And, and as I was reading this and I'm thinking about this, what does that mean to rejoice in the Lord? What does it look like to rejoice in the Lord? So if I were to grab this microphone and walk around the auditorium and say, hey, what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Now I don't want you to answer uh, because a lot of times we just say, you know, like singing. Singing is rejoicing. Yeah, it is. But it seems not enough. Right? And so Tim Keller, he writes this. Tim Keller was a former pastor out in uh, New York, and he says this, and I love this. Listen to this. To rejoice is to treasure a thing, to assess its value to you, to reflect on its beauty and importance until your heart rests in it, and to taste the sweetness of it. That's what it means to rejoice, and that's amazing. Uh, and I appreciate smarter people than me that can put that in those words, right? Amen? What I love about the Bible, it says one thing seven different ways, right? It says one thing seven different ways. And that way we can grasp it and we can apply it to our lives. And so as we look at today what it means to have true joy, what it means to have true joy, I think Paul is telling us is to have contentment. Right? To have this contentment. And uh, this is the crazy thing is that contentment is promised and it is commanded in the Bible. It is promised and it is commanded in the Bible. Let me show you what I mean. In 1 Timothy 6, 8, it says this. And this one is hard. <laughs> I'll just be honest. This one's hard. But if you have food and clothing with, things, with these we will be content. Right, let that one just sit in for a little bit. <laughs> Food and clothing. None of you are shirtless or pantless. Uh, most of you look like you've ate something today. Paul tells us we should be content. Uh, let's go to a, maybe an easier one. Uh, Hebrews 13.5, still not as easy. Hebrews 13, 5, it says this, keep your life free from the love of money and be content. You can hear like the pleading of the writer of Hebrews, can't you? You can hear it. Keep your life free from money and be content with what you have. For he said, listen, this is the promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Students, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Church, Jesus is never going to leave you nor forsake you. So, I don't want to just be preaching. I want you to be thinking, and I love that, be thinking. And so, on a scale 1 to 10, where in your life are you, how content are you? 10 being, I'm so content in life I should be in heaven, right? 1 being... You're on the ground in the fetal position, sucking your thumb in the corner. How content are you on a scale of one to ten? And there's no fives. There's no fives in my scale. <laughs> okay? So go ahead and think. Right now, I'll give you a second. Think, where, how content are you in life? 
And what I think is that to understand contentment, we have to understand the opposite of contentment. And it's this thief that is trying to steal our joy. This thief that comes in and wrecks everything. Coveting. Coveting wrecks contentment, destroys it. And I know that in our vocabulary today, we don't use coveting a lot. But the problem with that is the Bible uses it often a lot. And coveting is a big deal in the scriptures. And so... uh, some of us call coveting shopping or research or surfing the web. Let's look at Exodus twenty seventeen. Uh, this is from the Ten Commandments. This is number 10, okay, if you're keeping track. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his iPad, or his boat, or his car, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that your neighbor has. I love it. Moses is like, if I forget anything, anything the neighbor has, don't covet. Coveting on one level is wanting something that someone else has. But I believe it's deeper than that. It's so, so much deeper than that. Coveting is an internal desire of trying to find completeness apart from God. Thinking that something in this world can bring you happiness other than God. And what I think the Ten Commandments are saying is, God is saying, uh, I want you to experience me. Right? I want you to experience me and where you can be content. And I believe this is the spirit of the Ten Commandments. Yes, the, 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 they show us, they're like a mirror. If we were to look at ourselves in the mirror of the Ten Commandments, and we would fall short, wouldn't we? They would show us our sin. They would reveal us our sin. And then even Jesus, at the Son of the Mount, he uh, jacks them up even higher, raises the bar even higher, and we're even more trouble. We're like checking boxes on the, yep, that's me, yep, that's me, yep, that's me, right? It shows us our sin, but it also, it shows us our need for a Savior. And then uh, they are also something that we can live by as a believer, can't we? And fourth, and, and stick with me, I think there's a cause and effect with the Ten Commandments. A cause and effect. Uh, bookends, if you will. So we just read the Tenth Commandment. Let's read the first one. It says this, Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me, meaning God. Love God above everything. And the last one says, don't covet. And another way of saying that is, be content. Right? Be content with what you have. If you love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength... I believe contentment will follow. And so, if we're going to understand what it means to be content, we have to understand the nature of coveting and what that means and what that looks like. And, and we have to broaden our horizon, our broaden our spectrum of what coveting really is. Coveting is not just shopping or wanting something that your neighbor has or making that. I think it's, again, deeper. Paul and Colossians... 
another church, another writer, he, or another church that he writes to, he uh, talks about coveting and compares it to idolatry. Whoa, hold up. You mean I can covet something I already have? That's exactly what he's saying. You can covet something that you already have that you are not content with. Think about that. We have, you can covet your job, money, your spouse. And what I mean by that, if those things were taken away or those things are gone, what are you left with? Are you in despair? Or is Jesus enough? Right? And then also the scriptures talk about the lust of the eyes in 1 John 2, 15 and 17. It talks about the lust of the eyes. And think about that. We're always looking and wanting. Right? We have this mindset that when I get this, then I'll be happy. When I have that, then my life will be complete. The problem is this. With coveting, we're always looking to the future, which brings discontentment in the present. Right? And so we're always looking. And let me ask you this. Have you lost your contentment in the Lord? Are you grabbing at whatever, trying to fill that void, trying to become satisfied? I have played that game, friends. And there are times, to be honest, I'm, I play that game still. But I think we, we are commanded, we are, we are given promises to be content. And we are to be like Christ. We are to strive that way. Our lives have to rest somewhere. Right? You have to have something outside of yourself to be the center of yourself. That's just that's how we're wired. We are created to worship, aren't we? We are worshipers. And so if we are not worshiping God, then we worship things that are pointing us to God. That makes sense? We're worshiping pointers. So as if... Uh, no, don't try to make up an illustration on the hand, on the cuff. Uh, it always goes bad. Um. <laughs> but pointers. Imagine if you're on a, a road trip, right? And you're, you're hungry. You already passed the bench of restaurants. And all of a sudden you see this huge billboard with the golden arches. And I know no one would ever eat McDonald's because it's disgusting, right? It's bad for you. But instead of going to the restaurant, you stop at the billboard and you start dancing. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Right? No, no. You're not there. That's the... That's, pointing you and that's what we do when we replace God or when we go when I go out to eat or very anyway the nice restaurants right with the bread that gives you free bread those are great oh man nice one or, or the chips and salsa right the nice ones man the classy ones uh it's not the drive-through all right uh and so and what happens especially at the Texas Roadhouse uh they bring out that butter I don't know what's in it but it's amazing and you put on that hot bread, and you eat, and you eat, and, you, and they're like, oh, you want more bread? Yes, and more of that butter. Can you just bring it out in a glass, and I'll drink it. And uh, <laughs> listen, we do that, and then what happens? The meal comes, and we're full. <laughs> 
And what did we do? We missed the point of why we went out. We met, we, we're not living in the reality that we were supposed to go out to eat a meal. We got full on the pointer, the appetizer to the meal. So what are you filling yourself up with in your life? What is replacing Christ in your life? So let's bring it together. How do we find contentment? Or how do we begin to get contentment? I've told you all about how, yeah, we were all relating with what was have coveting, uh, not being content, always wanting more, thinking our spouse is going to complete us, thinking buying the bigger house is going to be for, find fulfillment, going to the right school is going to uh, make me happy, getting married, right? Then I will be happy. Having kids, then I will be complete. No, God says, rest in me, because I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. I am going to bring you contentment. I am what's going to be stable. So how do we get there? Paul tells us. We'll go back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am content. Sometimes you just want to punch Paul. <laughs> right? Uh, you're just like, Paul, come on, man. Give me one thing. No. He's like, I don't have any need. Again, he's... Did I say, did I mention he's in prison writing this? I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the, here's the verse. Here's the key, right? The verse that we put on our athletic shoes, which is completely out of context. Stop doing that. Uh, the verse that we have on coffee mugs our screensaver, right? But it's so much more when we read in context. It means so much more. Look, I can do all things through him, Jesus, who strengthens me, right? I can do all things, Paul says. And so students, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You can't do it. You can't. It's a strength issue, but to get contentment is not by things, but by one person. And that is Jesus. Jesus. And it's about, and listen to me, it's about letting God in on the good times, the abounding times, Paul calls it, and the low times. But it's really super difficult to let God in on the abounding times, isn't it? It's really hard to be like, hey, Lord, I need you. I need to find contentment in you, but everything is going great. Everything is perfect. My health is great. My family's great. My 401k is just blowing up. I don't know if that's a thing, but think about it. And it's hard to let God in on those good times. But when we're in need, we're like, help, Lord. We have to let him in, both in the abounding and the low. Both times. I can do all things in the good and in the bad. Right? So, are you, so you are able. Look, when we, when we apply this text, when we uh, trust Christ, we are able to deal with success 
and failure. And, and we are able to get off the roller coaster. Some of our lives right now are doing this, right? Where we have our highs, and there's days that we're low. And I know that the ride of life should be fun, but let's be boring. <laughs> right? Let's be boring. Let's go straight. Instead of the highs and lows, and trusting Christ. Right? Circumstances are always changing, but you know what? You know the promise the Bible tells us? God never changes. God doesn't change. He is the same when he said, let there be light, as he is this very moment. He is the very same. So let me ask you this. If we were to find contentment, we're finding our strength in Christ, how many of you are trying to find your own strength? How many of you are saying, I'll just do it myself? Jesus and Jesus alone can bring us strength. It's going gonna, it's gonna to fail. Think about the thing. So I love Shannon. She uh, is fantastic. She's amazing. She lets me leave on trips, takes care of the four kids, just a saint. But she's never going to complete me. Right? She's a great helper but she's never going to bring fulfillment in my life. So what are you placing? It could be a spouse. It could be a job. It could be a car. It could be an athletic team. It could be fill in the blank. What are you striving at? What are you, what are you filling up on instead of the meal, which is Christ? See, Contentment, I believe, is the foretaste of eternity. It is a preview of eternity with God. And it's today, I know that some of you want to move from coveting to contentment. Some of you are like, how do I do it? Where do I begin? Where do I start? I'm glad you asked. I think it starts with owning your discontentment. Saying, I am discontent in this. Right? Remember, the Bible tells, commands us to be content with food and clothing. Ask yourself, where in your life are you discontent? Where are the gaps? Remember the scale? Where are the gaps? Maybe some of you gave a three or a six because you're like, oh, it's not five, but it's, it's six. Where are the gaps? And your contentment. The only person, the only thing that's going to satisfy is Christ. The only thing. Where are you discontent? And wherever it is, let Christ be your strength. Christ wants to help you. That's the good news. Christ wants to help you. Christ wants to be there for you. You have to let him. You have to be honest. And this will affect your entire life. Imagine living in contentment. 
what people would say, what people would think. And maybe you do, and praise God, keep living in that contentment. Or maybe you hide it well, and you're not really content. The only, thing, only person is going to be Jesus. Are you going to try and strengthen yourself? Or are you going to let Christ in? Are you going to submit to Jesus and his lordship? Are you going to be content in God or in other things? All right, this is huge. This is, don't leave these doors. Don't leave this building without saying, who am I going to be content in? My circumstances? Oh, my goodness. Or someone who is stable, someone who is secure. If you live that way, I mean, wow. Wow, wow, wow. And remember, remember, you are not promised an easy life. Right? No one, no one in the scripture. No, you read this. You are not promised an easy life. Remember, Paul is writing this in jail. Did I mention that yet? He's writing this in jail. Right? I mean, just our pastor. Just in the last year, my goodness, right? This is not an easy life. You're never promised that. The promise is, I will be with you. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I am always there. But we look to other things. We're filling up on other things. And Christ is saying, I'm right here. Come. Right? I love Psalms and I love it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so as we um, about to transition into taking the Lord's Supper. Right? This is a great opportunity to deal with God, to deal with your heart. Paul tells us that we should take, when we take the Lord's Supper, look at our lives. Look at the sin in our lives and say, where am I discontent, God? And as you drink the, 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 the blood or the juice, or not blood, sorry, juice, and take the bread, you remember what Lord, the Jesus has done for you. And you also remember that he says, I, I'm here. I'm here, church. So hear that today. Repent of discontentment. Repent of that sin. Of fulfilling other idolatry, coveting. Be content in the one that can only bring contentment. Father, as we come to you, I thank you for the table, the Lord's Supper that's on. Father, I thank you for the, for the bread and the juice, the symbolism of what it means. Father, that, that your, your body was broken for us and your blood was shed for us. But Father, you are alive Father, you are with us at this very moment, right? Romans 8, the spirit that rose you dwells inside of us. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Father, let us rest in that. Let us rest in that truth and stop resting in things. Let us stop resting in our job or resting in our spouse or resting in our kids. Let us rest in you. Let us run to you. 
And Father, my, my, in my head, I just see you running right back, not waiting, not, not saying, I told you so, but running back right towards us. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. contentment? Where is your peace? We've been given this morning a challenge, and that challenge, where is our security? Where do we rest? What more do we need than what Christ has done for us? Before us, is the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, 